Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Carrying on in this section of Mark in Jerusalem. So starting at verse 27. This is the Lord's words to us. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he, that's Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in, in, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence round it, dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. I wonder this evening if you know that this is true. Sometimes the very people who look closest to God are actually experts at keeping God at bay. Sometimes the people with the best theological degrees have the coldest hearts. Sometimes the people with the longest association with the church have the shortest attention span for the Bible. Sometimes the people who look the most religious are 
the least repentant. Sometimes the most spiritual are the least joyful. Sometimes the trees with the most foliage have the least fruit. We're now in the final section of Mark's Gospel. Will read it to us. We began this section last week, chapter 11. The Lord Jesus has come to Jerusalem, come to his capital city. He has come to the temple and he has come, remember last week, he has come seeking fruit and instead only finds facade, outward glory and no inner reality. He finds foliage aplenty but zero fruit. This is all explicit if you look back at chapter 11. Look at chapter 11 verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Look at verse 21. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus is acting out here for his followers, for his disciples. He is acting out a little bit of theater, a drama. This is an acted parable of judgment. As with the fig tree, so with the temple. There is no fruit here among the people of the temple. No fruit of a real relationship with God. And so it is going to die. And so tonight in our passage, now the Lord Jesus comes face to face, not just with the temple, but now with the people associated with the temple. You see see them there in verse 27, right at the start of our reading. As he was walking in the temple, the people whose business it was to run the temple came to him. The chief priests, the scribes and the elders came to him. The professors, the doctors, the ministers, the elders, the preachers, the pastors, the shepherds of God's people. And this whole thing again this evening is very simply about whether there is any fruit hanging from their degree certificates that line the walls of their studies? Is there any fruit in their long service certificates? Do their circumcised bodies bear a circumcised heart? And this time this evening, the Lord Jesus tells a parable. He doesn't act a parable out like the fig tree. He tells a parable. But the parable is all about these pastors. Chapter 12, verse 12, they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people for they had perceived that he told the parable against them. A parable against them that is all about fruit. Chapter 12, verse 2, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. I want to be very clear this evening as we look at this. Jesus here is speaking to us, speaking to me, speaking to you, but particularly when you see chapter 12, verse 12, he said this against them. We think, well, then he couldn't be speaking to me, to us. He, he's speaking against them, not us. And surely the Lord Jesus wouldn't speak against his people, would he? He wouldn't speak against us. Well, friends, he did here. He wasn't speaking to Gentiles, wasn't speaking to foreigners. No, here is Jesus speaking to people who loved their Bibles, people who loved his law. 
And Jesus is saying, if your religion is doctrinally faultless, but it is personally and practically fruitless, then you're heading for disaster. I want you to notice, maybe you picked this up as Will read it for us, this whole unit is about questions, isn't it? Look at verse 28 of chapter 11. They said to him, they asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? And notice how Jesus replies with a counter question, verse 29. I will ask you one question. But look at the parable as well, verse 9. Another question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Friends, this this evening is Q&A with Jesus. I don't know what you... What, what you're like with Q&A. You go to a conference, maybe it's the highlight. Sometimes you get more of the speaker in Q&A, don't you? Here is question and answer with the Lord Jesus himself. And here's what's happening. Jesus is asking four questions of fruitless religion. Four questions for fruitless religion. I want to show you them. Here they are. Number one, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? This is verses 27 to 33. Do you know who I am? That's the question. Jesus is asking that question by asking his counter question in verse 30. You see his counter question about the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from man? See, Jesus has entered Jerusalem and as he has entered Jerusalem, because of what he did in the temple, he has now caused an almighty stir overturning the tables in the temple. So the religious authorities have an authority question for Jesus in verse 28. Listen, they say to him, we see what you're doing, we see what you've done, but what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? And in giving them a counter question, verse 29, Jesus brilliantly and cleverly gives them an answer to their question. Really, he says to them, you're asking if I'm sent from God or not. So let me ask you, was John the Baptist sent from God or not? When he carried out all those baptisms and preached and taught and did did everything he did, have God's seal of approval resting on it? Or was John the Baptist just another wandering nutcase in the desert? And you see, verse 31, you, you see the dilemma it poses them. Friends, what Jesus is doing here is this. If you cannot see the seal of divine approval on John's ministry, then you will not be able to see it on mine. If you can't make up your mind about John, then you won't be able to make up your mind about me, no matter what I've told you. For here's the thing, all John did was point to me. Do you know who I am? You're asking me what right I have to do these things. Do you know who I am? Jesus is saying, I am God's king. I am the son. And fruitless religion always has at its heart a fundamental inability to see who Jesus really is. That is what is at the heart of all fruitless religion. We love our religious world. We've got everything in order. The machinery works. It ticks over nicely. Thank you very much. We do not like the radical prophet in the midst who tells us we've got everything back to front and that we need to get back to basics. The only way, the only way to ever bear fruit is to say to Jesus, you are king and I am not. 
And I will give myself to you, hook, line, and sinker, whether I agree with all that you say or not. I do not need to understand everything about you and why you do what you do, but because I do believe you are who you said you are, I will follow you. That is fruitful religion. Now, we'll come back to this again. Number one, do you know who I am? Number two, do you think you can ignore God's word? Do you think you can ignore God's word? Question one, do you know who I am? Question two, do you think you can ignore God speaking? It's really brilliant storytelling, isn't it? This is the parable now, chapter 12 onwards. It is brilliant storytelling, isn't it? To have a story ask questions of the listener. Because you see, for Jesus to be telling this parable against the religious leaders, it must mean, mustn't it, that he's actually giving them starring roles in the story. And in this parable, Jesus is holding out a mirror to these religious leaders. And as he speaks, he's saying, look, as I speak, can you see yourself in the story? Look in the mirror as I speak. Are you villain or hero? The Bible does this brilliantly, doesn't it? Do you remember the prophet Nathan? After he confronted David, after David had taken Bathsheba and killed her husband, what what did Nathan do when he went to David? Did he have a sermon? No, he had a story, remember? Once upon a time, David, there was a rich man who took the only sheep of a poor man. Outrage, cries David. Who is that man? Let me deal with him. You are that man. David, I've been showing you your own reflection in the story and you don't even see it. But here, of course, in chapter 12 of Mark's gospel, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they do see themselves in the story, don't they? This is the story of God's loving nurture of Israel, his people. A man planted a vineyard. That is Isaiah chapter 5. God carefully chose, greatly loved, sacrificially cared for people in the way that a farmer would lovingly plant a vineyard. And all a farmer ever wants from all his labor is what? Fruit. It's all God ever wanted from Israel. I put you in the world and I gave you everything you ever needed and all I want from you is fruit. God puts farmers in charge of that vineyard. See, there's there's the character identification, isn't it, in verse 1. He leased it to tenants. That's who the chief priests and the scribes and the teachers and the elders are in the story. They are the ones God has placed in charge of his people, just like the landowner put tenants in charge of his vineyard. So what kind of tenants were they? It's the whole point of the story, isn't it? They were the worst kind imaginable. The worst kind. They totally and utterly abused their position of responsibility. Some of you, some of you have seen this. I know you have. I have seen it firsthand. And fortunately not in a property I own. I've never experienced it that way. But I have, I have seen landlords come face to face with the anguish and distress and dismay of discovering that a tenant has damaged their property. Not looked after it, treated it, left it like a pigsty. Something entrusted into somebody else's care. 
And here in this parable, friends, as you look at it, the the farmers, the tenants, what, what is it that they get wrong? Again and again and again, they ignore the landlord by ignoring his messengers. Don't they? They, they ignore his request for rent. Now that, that's what rent was in this world. The one who owned the vineyard could simply ask for a rightful share of the fruit. And when the one who owns asks for what is his, the people in charge spat his request back in his face by beating the messenger and sending them back black and blue. Do you see the story that Jesus is saying these religious leaders have a starring role in? You shepherds of Israel, he says, you are just like standing here in front of me. These men right in front of me, you are exactly the same as the shepherds back in Isaiah's day, Jeremiah's day, Ezekiel's day in the Old Testament. God sent the prophets with his word to his people. What did they do to the prophets? Mocked them, laughed at them, jeered beat, stoned, and killed them. It was Israel's leaders who did that, not the people. It was, it was the tenants, the, one who, the ones who were meant to be saying to the people, look, look, yes, here's the prophet in our midst. Gather round, friends. Come on in. Listen to what he's going to say to us. No, it was the pastors in Israel who said, who is this gibbering idiot in our midst? Don't bother listening to him. Let's get rid of him. God is the owner of the vineyard. His people are the vineyard. The chief priests and scribes and elders are the tenants. The prophets are the servants who are sent but rejected. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, Jesus says in Luke's Gospel. Oh, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so, friends, this evening, here is the question. Here is what Jesus is actually asking them, and here is what the Lord Jesus is asking each of us as we sit here this evening. Here's the question. Do I have a long history of ignoring God's word? Do you have a long history of ignoring God's word? Israel here did, didn't they? Again and again and again, God sent his word and again and again and again it was rejected. It's very, very possible that some of you this evening have sat maybe in this church or other churches, for long years and you have heard God speaking and you've thought, yeah, maybe, possibly, who cares? Maybe for long years you've heard God speaking and you've thought more than that. You've thought, yes, that's right, I agree, but I can't do that now. One, One day I'll sort that out. One day I'll come to it. Brothers and sisters, I want us to feel the challenge of it, the the force of chapter 12, verse 12. Jesus is speaking to people who receive his word week in, week out. And what does Mark say? He is against them. He tells this story against them. Year round, lifelong ignoring the word of God, choosing to ignore it. What? Against me? 
against us, but how can he be? I'm, I'm here every week like I'm meant to be. He's still speaking, isn't he? Everything's fine. I don't know if you've felt now for some time in some area or other that God has been speaking to you gently, maybe firmly. I don't know. But I do know that fruitful religion listens. Fruitful religion listens. Fruitful religion does not do verse 3 and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Fruitful religion does not send the messenger away. Fruitful religion does not do verse 4, and he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. It does not do verse 5. It does not kill the word dead in its tracks. Jesus is asking a third question in this parable to them and to us. Number one, do you know who I am? Number two, do you think you can ignore God's word? Question three, I love this question. Have you forgotten what God is like? Have you forgotten what God is like? You know, you only ever ignore God's word when you forget what he is like as he speaks it. That's why we ignore his word. We forget who it is that speaks When you no longer care about the authority of the speaker or the character of the speaker, you you plug your ears, don't you, to what he's saying. When you no longer care about the goodness of the giver, you trample his gifts under your feet. And Jesus tells this story here against fruitless religion because he's showing people that fruitless religion forgets God himself in two ways. Here's the first way. It forgets God's love and mercy and grace and goodness. Fruitless religion always forgets God's love and mercy and grace and goodness. God's love for his people, for his children, is lavish love. Do you know that? And the pictures that the Bible uses to describe God's love are incredible pictures. What are the images? A mother hen. Have you ever seen that in a farm courtyard? A mother hen stretching out her wings. I I grew up near a dairy farm. Often you would drive up the lane and into the dairy farm. And if there were chickens uh, with young, a mother hen with young chickens, as the car comes, comes in, you literally see this, the mother running through the courtyard to gather her chickens under her wing. Come to the place of safety. Read Ezekiel chapter 16 sometime. And look at the incredible picture of God's people being like a tiny baby found at the roadside. What would you do if you found a living baby at the roadside? God says, I found you at the roadside. You were abandoned. You were still kicking around in blood and afterbirth. There was no mother to care for you. And God says, I found you. And I loved you. And I raised you to be a beautiful bride. Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard. Friends, there is nothing but love in these pictures. Nothing but one directional, unconditional care. Isaiah chapter 5, God says, What more could I have done for you, my children? What more watering could I have given you, or hedging, or grafting, or weeding, or pruning? What more could I possibly have given you? There were no hours left in the day for me to love you. 
It's exactly the point of what Jesus says here in verse 1, isn't it? Look at the care. A man planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and he he dug a pit for the winepress and he built a tower, a watchtower, and then he leased it out to people to care. Do you see the love and attention? Friends, this is the God who comes as near to his people as he possibly can. This is the God who thinks of every need and every eventuality. This is the God who comes to his people on bended knee. Who who shovels soil and clears rocks and plants and builds and waters and watches. This is the God who makes a good world and in a good world he makes a perfect garden. This is a God who gives a land, who builds a city, who provides a king, who sends his son, who washes feet, who sheds his blood. The God who forgives our sins, who rules from heaven and who will come again. It is all privilege given to us. Privilege, privilege as we're called into his family. And look through this parable, look through the story again. Privilege is what he gives us, but what is the P that describes how he treats us? Patience. Isn't it patience? Patience, patience, patience. He sent a servant, then another servant, and still another servant. In fact, friends, I think verse 5 is the most astonishing verse in the whole story. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. After one has died, he still sends others. Oh, it's not what we do, is it? At all. The, the ambassador to that violent country, as soon as the threat of violence rears its head, the ambassador is recalled. We pull out all the embassy staff right away. War is going to be declared, so we retreat and re, we remove. What does God do? He sends just one more. One last time. More than that, he sent many others. Absolutely incredible. Privilege, 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 patience, patience, patience. But you know, friends, those are not the only things that is forgotten here. As well as forgetting God's love and grace and goodness, when we ignore his word, we forget God's wrath and justice as well. We forget God's wrath and justice and judgment. Look at verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Brothers and sisters this evening, do not forget that even God's patience has a limit. Even God's patience has an end. Oh, there is is no patience like it. Absolutely none. It is longer lasting. It is more clearly expressed. It is more generously given, more amazingly maintained than any patience in all the world. But it will come to an end. It will come to an end. You know the saying, don't you? Beware the fury of a patient man. The Bible says, beware the wrath of a patient God. Friends, if you have a long history of ignoring God's word, or maybe you're just beginning on that downward slide tonight of beginning to ignore God's word, if you are, it will be because you are forgetting what God is like. 
Do you know that people can get so used to their own sin that they completely and utterly forget that the owner of the vineyard is real and that he will not always wait. He will not wait forever. God is loving and wrathful. He is merciful and just. He is gracious and righteous. Fruitless religion forgets at least one of those things, favoring one above the other. Maybe it forgets both of them. The fourth question here at the end that Jesus is asking is the most chilling. Question number four, do you think you can get rid of me? Do you think you can get rid of me? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Jesus stars in his own parable. He makes an appearance in the story, but not for long. Verse seven, those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him in the inheritance will be ours. This is a face-to-face confrontation with people who want to see Jesus dead. Look at verse 18 of chapter 11. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Jesus knows that they are going to succeed in what they are planning to do. They're going to succeed in killing him. And here in this story, he lets them know in advance that he knows that they will succeed. I know what you are planning to do and that you are going to do it. And here is what Jesus is asking them as they plan. Here's what I want to ask you as you do it. He says to them, do you really think you can get rid of me? This parable is simply an advance. What a mercy this story is. An advance warning to them that their mission to kill him is only going to end in disaster for them. Even with the sun and the air lying dead. It's actually a veiled promise to them, isn't it, of his coming resurrection. If only they had eyes to see it. For verse 10. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected, isn't Jesus saying the son that the tenants killed has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Do you know one of the best pieces of fun you can have on Google is to Google famous rejection letters in history. Have you ever done that? Looked at some of the most famous rejections. There's been loads of them, hasn't there? The Beatles, rejected by Decca Recording Studio, who said, we don't like their sound and you have no future in show business. Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi, told too small to play football. Albert Einstein couldn't speak until he was four, and his first teacher said, you will never amount to much. Who these people went on to become is all the more remarkable, isn't it? Because of how they were first rejected. It's what makes the end of their story so incredible. But there is no rejection and no ending as incredible as what you have in front of you this evening. See how Jesus describes himself in verse 10. I'm like that stone that the builders that you've called in to work on your house and to do the extension. They picked up that stone to put it on the wall and they look at it and turn it over and that's no use. And they chuck it over their shoulder on the scrap heap. 
All they see is weakness and imperfection and no good for, it, for anything. And yet, when they're gone, the site foreman comes along after them and picks up that very stone and uses that stone in the most prominent place in the building. Takes what has been rejected and gives it a place of glory and prominence. It is most important, most visible, becomes the most supporting part of the building. Turns out that the building wouldn't even work without this stone. That's me, says Jesus. Do you, do you really think you can get rid of me? Friends, this evening you will know some of us this evening are starting to get rid of Jesus. Maybe no one else knows But Mark is speaking to you, speaking to me. If you are beginning to get rid of Jesus, now is the time to stop. If one day when you're older you are tempted to get rid of him, if you think, I'm going to put this all behind me and move on to something else. Friends, this very evening, take the Lord Jesus' words deep down into your heart and hear Jesus say that getting rid of him simply cannot be done. Isn't that the point of the parable? You you can't actually do it. How how can you reject the stone that has become the foundation, the capstone, the, the everything of the whole building? You cannot be rid of Jesus. The Son died. The Son rose. And the Son will rule and reign forever. Amen.